This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Next, uh, we'll have our scripture reading taken from Luke uh, chapter 6, 17 to 49. I'll give us a moment to grab our Bibles or you can follow the passage on the screen. Scripture reading taken from Luke chapter 6, reading from verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you whose hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and live for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, that, for that is how the ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. If to everyone who asks you, and if eh, Anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is a kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also said them. He also told them this parable: Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from torn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my word, and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is the word of God. So, Pastor Andrew uh, will now speak to us God's word in a pre-recorded sermon, because he's unable to come down today. Hey, good morning, everyone. So sorry that I can't be here with you this morning, especially as uh, I have COVID. But a uh, wonderful passage today that we're looking at, and I really hope that uh, even though I'm not there with you personally, you'll be able to... Uh, learn lots from uh, looking at God's word today in the book of Luke. So let's go to God in prayer right now. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the powerful word which we are going to study today. We pray for uh, thankfulness in our heart, a uh, heart which is going to be receptive to instruction because these are difficult words and, uh, and that we will be able to truly accept them so that we will be like the house built on the solid ground. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Many years ago, I remember speaking to this lady in the church that I was in before. And uh, she was sharing about how proud she was of her son. Uh, her son had uh, gone through top school in Singapore. He had now been studying in a really good university. He had now settled down to a very good career. He had now got into a really good relationship with a wonderful girl. And she was really looking forward to them getting married. Unfortunately, I think I burst a bubble a bit because I asked her how his Christian walk was going. And, uh, you know, she became a bit uncertain. Uh, she was a bit wavering, even though she tried to put on a brave front and said, well, you know, I don't really ask him about all these things because it's a bit awkward. And he comes to church with me at Easter time sometimes and Christmas another time. But, you know, he was, um, he was baptized when he was younger, so everything should be okay. Now, I think it's really sad, really, because... She was very certain about his studies, very certain about his career, very certain about uh, even him getting married and perhaps even starting a family. But she wasn't really certain about his salvation. Now, of all the questions that we really need to have certainty in this life, uh, salvation uh, is probably the most important, right? It is the most important. It matters the most. Whether I'm saved or not, whether I'm destined for heaven, for eternity, whether I'm part of God's family, uh, whether I'm a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, this is really, really 
the most important question that you really could you could you could have certainty about. So today we're going to be looking at uh, the passage, and uh, as you can see from the passage now, as you can see, the the big question that we really need to ask ourselves in uh, today's question is: Are we a disciple of Jesus, and do we have the certainty about our future? And that's the big picture, the big context of Luke, really. We began by looking many weeks ago at the introduction in the book of Luke, in Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, about how Luke wants us to have certainty. And today, really, the, the question that he's going to deal with, can we be certain that we are disciples of Jesus and therefore we are saved, whether our eternal future is secure, whether we are part of the family of God? Now, the more immediate context was from last week, or the week before that, actually. So the week before that, we looked at Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 16, and that's where we ended up. And we ended up with the introduction to Jesus and the 12 apostles. And so this week, we are then introduced to the 12 apostles together with a large crowd of disciples and a great number of people. And so, as you look at this passage, we were kind of like given this um, if you look very carefully at the text, I want you to look very carefully at the text, don't look at me, right? This progression of the numbers that we're looking at. So there were 12 apostles, so Jesus went down with the 12 apostles, he stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of disciples. But that wasn't all the people that there were there. There was also, it says that a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around High and Sidon, who had come to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So here we see that this crowd that Jesus finds himself with is made up of a small group of select apostles, a bigger number of disciples, and a huge number of these people who came for healing. Now we're told two things about this big group of people who come for healing. First thing we're told is they came from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. Now, it doesn't mean much to us because we're not really familiar, uh, for many of us, with uh, the geography of the time. But, but what it's really saying is these people came from vast distances to come to see Jesus, from the furthest borders of Israel to come to see Jesus, from beyond the borders of Israel, right? as you can see in this map, from Tyre and Sidon. It's a bit like saying people came all the way from woodlands, to Sentosa, from Jurong to Changi, and even from Johor, right? That's what, that's what Luke is really saying here. People came from all over to hear Jesus. But they didn't come to hear him, but more the emphasis here is they came for healing, right? So one thing that we may miss as we go quickly through this passage is they all tried to touch him, okay? They all tried to touch him. And this kind of like, I suppose, shows that there was a superstitious element to their coming to Jesus. They didn't really understand who he was. Jesus to them was more like a talisman, a lucky charm, a healing stone. Right? So their understanding of Jesus was inadequate. There was a superstitious element to it. And so as we come to this huge crowd of people, uh, Jesus looks at his disciples and he speaks to them. But at the same time, there's also this vast crowd of people who are superstitious, but also curious about Jesus. And Jesus also is addressing them. And so what's the first thing that Jesus says to this vast and mixed and variegated crowd of people? He says, 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Now, the big, big question that we really have to address as we look at this passage is, uh, what does it mean by the poor, the hungry, and those who weep? Is Jesus just using these terms in a very generic, very general, very material, descriptive way? Right? So is he just talking about people who struggle to have enough money in their pockets, don't have enough to eat, or are really sad because of the difficult circumstances in their life? Well, I don't think so, right? Because Jesus cannot, say, cannot just be saying uh, that it's good for you just to be poor for the sake of being poor. And also, in the previous chapter, just the chapter before, we were introduced to Levi, the tax collector. Remember Levi, the tax collector, the guy that followed Jesus? Well, he wasn't very poor at all, right? He was very rich. In fact, as we saw in the passage, they were so rich that they had a great banquet for Jesus in his house. So I don't think Jesus here is saying that uh, these terms poor, hungry, weeping are exclusively material or general terms. There may be a little bit of that, but the emphasis really is on their spiritual poverty, uh, their spiritual need, their spiritual hunger, their spiritual sadness. Because Levi recognized his spiritual poverty before Jesus. He needed Jesus. He needed forgiveness. He needed salvation. We can see that and also the section just before uh, the Levi passage. So again, when we study Luke chapter 5, right? Jesus also said, uh, uh, we also given an account of how the apostles related to Jesus. Right? Remember when Jesus did this great miracle? How did Peter respond to Jesus? He said, go away, get away from me, uh, Lord, I am a sinful man. So we can see here that Simon Peter responds with spiritual poverty, spiritual need, spiritual sadness in recognition of his sinfulness. And that's why I think what's happening here is like what I read before once in this devotional by Charles Spurgeon, who said that the first step in the journey of faith must be the recognition, the supernatural and miraculous recognition of our great need for God. We need to recognize our spiritual poverty before God, that we are terrible, wretched, pathetic, poor sinners before God and weep for our sin and hunger for this righteousness and forgiveness that only Jesus can give us. So once we get that, once we have that, 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 that great spiritual poverty in a spiritual sense, then Jesus says we're blessed. But later on, he contrasts that to those who are rich, right? Because he says there, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Now again, I don't think Jesus is talking here specifically and just exclusively general, generic, or material terms. But I think as you read this section, verse 24, 25, you can't get away from the impression that there is a reality that Jesus is talking about here. A reality where uh, spiritual insensitivity uh, can be linked to material wealth. So if you remember, uh, if, you know, to find out what uh, Jesus is talking about here, it's always helpful to go back earlier on in the book of Luke. 
Remember Mary's song uh, when she sang about her son, Jesus? Verse 51, she said, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. So as we look at Mary's song here, you can see that there's actually a contrast, right, between the rich being proud and the hungry who are humble. And that's often the case, isn't it? I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Often, those who are rich, well-fed, and laugh, they have this sense of pride, and they can't see their spiritual need. They're not humble enough to see their spiritual need. They see that they have no need for God because they have everything spiritually, and therefore they think they have everything sorry, materially, so they think they have everything spiritually. Now, I think this was brought home to me because I went to visit uh, my uncle who lives in Zurich. Uh, Zurich is a really beautiful city. If you ever get a chance, I'll, I really highly recommend you to go to Zurich. Now, you know, uh, it's like, it's, it's the, one of the richest cities and one of the richest countries in the world, but that's not just it. It's a really beautiful city in itself. The, the waters flow down uh, into the lake, which is in the city center of the city. You can actually drink water from the lake, right? It's, 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 it's like almost like paradise on earth. Now, I've tried to evangelize my uncle who lives in Switzerland uh, and Zurich many, many times. But it's like talking to a brick wall. It's really like banging my head on a brick wall. Because I think he feels materially rich and he feels like he doesn't need a thing. And so therefore, because he's materially rich, he, he, I think it also flows into being this false feeling of being spiritually rich. Like when I was in Zurich, I went to speak to a Swiss missionary friend of mine called Bernard. He had been a missionary in Singapore for many years. And he was telling me about how in Switzerland, there was this sense of spiritual lethargy. It's very hard ground for the gospel because everyone is just too comfortable. They don't see their need. But Jesus says, woe to you, woe to you, right? If you're like that. Woe to you if you don't see your need. You, you feel rich now because in eternity, there will be no kingdom of God for you. So the question that we really have to apply to ourselves today is, do we recognize our radical poverty for Jesus' forgiveness and salvation? Do we, are we truly poor? Are we truly seeing our want, right? our need for Jesus? Do we see that we really weep for our sin? It's not just a, something we acknowledge in our head, but something in our hearts and our wills. You know, one of the problems I think is, I've met so many Christians who drifted away from, from Jesus Christ, from from going to Bible study, from going to church. And it's not that they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't be, it's not that they don't believe that Jesus is. They just don't see the need. Right? They don't have this radical poverty, radical hunger, radical uh, weeping for their sin. And unless you have that, you will not be blessed. Jesus then goes on to say, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you, Sorry, reject your name is evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy because great is your reward in heaven. But that's how the ancestors treated the prophets. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because it's not enough just to recognize our radical need for forgiveness, radical 
uh, lack of righteousness. We need to then, as a result of recognizing our need, to then turn to Jesus. But as we turn to Jesus, Jesus warns us of a great danger. The danger is that people will hate, exclude, and assault and reject us because we are holding on to Jesus Christ. Now, historical context here is very important, right? Now, I just, just a moment, a moment aside, I mean, think of the situation now. Jesus here is extremely popular. Vast crowds from all over Israel and beyond Israel have come to him. But yet, he has that om, you know, omni, uh, uh, omniscience. He can see into the, 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 the future. He knows he has the divine knowledge to see that actually when people come to him, uh, over time, people will be persecuted, hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected. But what does Jesus say? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Now, I want you to just consider that for a moment, right? Uh, we live in a world where if you get uh, not enough likes on your Facebook, if you get negative comments on your Instagram, and you get thumbs down to your social media, we don't rejoice, we don't leave for joy, right? It is a cause of sadness and even depression and mental health issues. But Jesus says, rejoice in that day where people hate you, exclude you, insult you because of Jesus. Now, that's really amazing, right? Now, uh, I remember I was taught this thing called the Swedish Bible study method. If you ever heard of it, it's quite interesting. It's where basically you read the Bible passage and you put all these different symbols where you find different things. And you're supposed to put an exclamation when you find something which is truly uh, amazing, right? And here, this is amazing. Like, rejoice and leap for joy in that day when people hate you, exclude you, insult you, and reject you. How can that be? This is a big exclamation mark. The reason is because it says there, great is your reward in heaven, right? Great is your reward in heaven. And also, right, great is your reward in heaven. And also, it says there, what is how your, the, their ancestors treated the prophets. Now, I want you to just think for a moment. Right? The reason why Jesus says that we are able to rejoice in that day and leap for joy when we're persecuted is because Jesus doesn't have the perspective of today, tomorrow, the next year, the next decade, or even the next century. He's thinking of eternity. Now, if you can think of eternity and the reward of eternity and the reality of eternity and, and, and make that your first priority, then you can rejoice and leap for joy. So I sent this out to you uh, last week. It's by the Good Book Company. It sounds like a really good book. Maybe one day I will, I will buy it. Okay. Um, and it's about eternity. See, it says there, shows kids what eternity is really like and it's far more wonderful than cultural images of heaven. And what I really like here is the title of the book. You know, I, I, I told the, the publisher, I love this title. Heaven is, uh, eternity is the awesome, super fantastic forever party. And that's really what is at stake here, right? If you have Jesus, then who cares if people dislike you or hate you or reject you or exclude you because you are part of this awesome, super fantastic forever party, right? It's like my old pastor in Australia told me, it was really sad because there's this guy that became a Christian, but then after a while he stopped coming to church. Why? Because the five, the ten people in his football team uh, were giving him a hard time for being a Christian. Now, and, and he was thinking, can you imagine? He misses out on the awesome, super fantastic forever party. 
just because of the, the, the views of 10 people. Now, how silly is that, isn't it? Now, the passage then goes on and says, look, okay, it's not enough that, that your radical poverty to see Jesus as the, uh, to the need for Jesus, but you also need to have radical loyalty to Jesus through opposition. The passage then goes on to say, but to you who are listening, I say, love your neighbors and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Now again, uh, these are instructions, these are commands, love, do good, bless. But what is shocking is who are supposed to love, do good and bless and pray for? We're supposed to do it to enemies, those who hate us, those who curse, curse us. Right. So these are the very same people who Jesus talks about uh, in this section, the earlier section, what they're hating and insulting us because of the name of the Son of Man. Right? They reject our name because of the Son of Man. So this context here is really about how we treat those who persecute us as Christians. I'll repeat that again. This section here is really about how do we treat people who oppose us and reject us as Christians. The normal response would be to hate them back, right? To insult them back or just to ignore them. But Jesus says that we have to show extraordinary love to them. Love them, do good to them, bless them and pray for them. Four commands, right? Now, this idea of love your enemies and do good to those who hate you is radical love. Radical love. How are we able to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you? How do we have this radical love? Well, the four commands are actually followed by three uh, illustrations of how this is seen in practice. The first uh, illustration is where uh, Jesus says, if someone strikes you in your cheek, turn the other cheek also. Now, I think that this can be mistaken to, 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 to uh, justify physical abuse, but this is not it. I think within its original context, again, the original historical context, for someone to strike you on the, the cheek is, is a bit like a backhanded slap, right? It's not an act of physical assault, but of humiliation, insult, contempt, right? hostility. I, I, I slap you on the back of your cheek. It's like, it's like, you know, I look down on you. But Jesus is saying, look, even when people insult you because you're a Christian, keep loving them. Keep trying to do good to them. In the same way, Jesus also says, look, uh, even as people are insulting you, uh, opposing you, hating you, keep sacrificially trying to do good to them, even if it means material loss for you. Now, Jesus expands on that by saying, right, do to others as you would have them do to you. And the whole point of what Jesus is saying here is do to others as you would have them do to you it is our reaction to those who hate us as Christians should not be transactional, but unconditional. We do it to them because that's how we would like to be treated. It's unconditional, not transactional. And that's why Jesus gives us three illustrations about how, well, sinners, they love those who love them back. Sinners do good to those who do good to them. Sinners give to those who give them back, whether it's a loan or uh, in favors, right? I says that's not the way that we as Christians behave to those who hate us. We don't 
we don't love them in a transactional way. We don't do good to them in a transactional way. We don't give in a transactional way. We do it in an unconditional way. Now, how? How? What is our motivation that we should do so? Again, if you notice in the passage, because great is our reward in heaven, because of this awesome, super fantastic forever party that we're going to. Therefore, our motivation is not what we get now, but what we will get in the future. On top of that, we are also to reflect uh, our family likeness to God. We have to have radical love for those who hate us because God radically loves even those who are wicked and hated Him. And so, when we love our enemies, when we do good to those who hate us, it's not because we're getting something back from them, but because of eschatology, what's happening for eternity, and because of relationship, because our relationship with God. So, as Christians, we have to follow the example of Jesus because God sent Jesus into this world and he loved people, even the Pharisees, who were hating him and opposing him. So, a disciple of Jesus has radical poverty, radical loyalty, radical love, even to opposition. But there's another last thing that a disciple of Jesus must have. Verse 36 is very important, verse 36. It's considered a hinge verse, okay? It moves what Jesus is saying from one section to the other. It's like a hinge of a door, right? A hinge of a door, okay? So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. You notice what's happening here? Jesus is moving from the theme of love to mercy. Jesus is moving from the theme of love to mercy. So how are we to be merciful? Well, do not judge, do not condemn, do not forgive, uh, but forgive and give. Now, these four instructions or commands are not meant to be read in isolation. There's a progression to it. So he's not saying don't judge at all, but don't judge in a condemning way. Don't condemn, but forgive. Forgive and give to people. Now, this is really important uh, because what we've seen is that actually uh, Jesus behaves this way. He doesn't judge in a condemning way, but he forgives and he gives. Because what we have seen so far is that we are to be merciful just as your father is merciful. And so, do not judge, condemn, forgive and give. It's because as God the Father, through Jesus the Son, uh, forgives me so I'm able to forgive others. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. The difference is that the Pharisees were harsh, right? So you want to follow the Pharisees is be harsh just as the Pharisees are harsh. But that's not the right way, right? Uh, the, the, we are to follow the example of the Father, follow the example of Jesus, because we are the family of God and we belong to God with Jesus. Now there's a very, very fascinating uh, contrast here, right? Because uh, we actually see, oh, okay, here's a picture of Jesus reaching out to tax collectors who, and he's actually uh, exhibiting in a real way uh, what is being taught here in his own words. Now, um, I remember that uh, last week we had Shirley, Shirley's uh, commissioning service. And there were two books that were recommended to be loaned out. I hope that you get the chance to read it. 
but uh, it's called After the Heavy Rain and Tears of My Soul. And it's about this guy uh, who's in the picture here. And he actually uh, survived having 13 of his members murdered. Can you imagine that? Not just one. 13 members of his family were murdered by the Khmer Rouge. He got free. He became a Christian. But what did he do? He went back to Cambodia to, 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 to bring them the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and, and give them a Bible. Now, here in this, in, in, in this story of, uh, I'm sure I pronounced it wrongly, Sokreksahim, is the embodiment of what Jesus is talking about here, right? Loving those who hate you, forgiving the sinner and seeking to love them. Now, it's important that we do this because of what Jesus says next, right? Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out to your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this is not familiar to us, but uh, can you all see uh, what I have here? Oh, you can't see it. Oh, no. Okay. It's, uh... oh, here you go. Okay, so you can see now. It's a... Uh... It's a measuring thing for spaghetti and for uh, rice, right? So in the ancient world, what you do is you, 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 you go up to um, the marketplace and you want to buy uh, your, your grain or whatever. And so what they'll do is they'll have like a measuring uh, receptacle like this and they'll pour in right, all the rice or the grain or whatever. They'll fill it up to the top and then they'll press it down and shake it together so to make sure there's no empty air pockets. Press it down. Then they'll then pour it into your basket or whatever. Then again, they'll do it all over again. They'll pour some more grain, shake it, shake it, shake it, press it down until there are no more apple pits. And then again, they would pour it into your, your basket or, or your bag or whatever. And so this is a really powerful image. Because the image that uh, Jesus is saying here, look, if you, if you measure with uh, forgiveness and with love and with giving, in the same way, God will pour into the measuring uh, cylinder mercy and grace and kindness to you and pour it out into your lap. But if you're harsh, right, and judgmental and condemning and not loving, then what's God going to do? He's going to pour not mercy and grace and love. He's going to pour judgment, harshness and condemnation on you and he's going to pour it out onto your lap. And so therefore, it's so important for us to take very seriously what Jesus is saying here because with the attitude that we treat sinners, so that is the attitude that God will treat us. Now, we're going to quickly, quickly go through the four parables uh, that follow, okay? But Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Radical poverty, radical loyalty, radical love, and radical mercy to sinners. Now, there are not four parables, but they all are basically orientating around the same thing. They're parables of self-examination, self-reflection, and self-evaluation. So the first one is about this blind man, right? Okay. So if a blind man follows another blind man, what happens? They walk into a pit. And this pit here is not a small pit, right? The original language is a deep, deep, deep pit. So both of them will fall into destruction. But Jesus says, don't do that, right? Because... If you do that, you'll, you'll be destroyed. And so what Jesus is really saying here, as we link it back to what we just read, is the blind, the blind man 
are the Pharisees. Right? If you follow the Pharisees in, in not being able to recognize their spiritual poverty, their spiritual need, their spiritual sin, if you follow the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, with their harsh judgment and condemnation of sinners, then together with the Pharisees, you will fall into a deep pit. But instead, Jesus invites you, invites us, and invites the original hearers in the crowd that day to follow him. To follow him and listen to his teaching so that we will have radical poverty, radical need, uh, sorry, radical poverty, radical loyalty, radical love, and radical mercy. The next parable is about the man with the plank in his eye and the brother with the speck in his eye. Now, the plank here is a huge, huge plank, right? It's like the main beam on the ceiling of your house. So it's, it's like this guy's got this huge plank, but the other guy has this tiny, tiny piece of sawdust in his eye. And he's saying, look, as you hear these words, as you're listening in the crowd, don't think of how these words of mine apply to your neighbor or your brother or your sister. Apply it to yourself. Ask yourself, do you have radical poverty? Do you have radical love? Do you have radical mercy? Do you have radical loyalty to me? Don't think about other people. Think about yourself first and foremost. And then you'll be able to help your brother. The other uh, parable, the third parable, expands and builds on this, right? So it's about two, two trees and two types of fruit. And so again, uh, Jesus is trying to get people to ask yourself, am I a good tree who produces good fruit or am I a bad tree who produces bad fruit? And again, this can be applied back to what he's saying, right? The good tree is the one who recognizes a spiritual need and is loyal to Jesus. He's the one who shows radical love and radical mercy. That's the good fruit that comes from the good tree. But others, well, they are the bad tree which produce bad fruit because they don't have that spiritual poverty. They turn away from God and Jesus. And also they are harsh, harsh in terms of unloving, harsh in terms of having no mercy. The last uh, parable is the most powerful one, I feel. And we're just going to spend a moment doing this because it's been, I don't want the sermon to be too long, it's quite long already. But Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Well, it's like, you know, if you respect me as God, or respect me as rabbi, uh, respect me as teacher, then why don't you do what I say? Because the problem is that coming to Jesus and hearing Jesus, like the crowd, like some of the superstitious people, is not enough. You must come, you must hear, but most importantly, there is that last step that you must take you must put into practice. Jesus says, and he emphasizes it in three ways. The one who puts it into practice is like a man building a house and there's deep, deep foundation. And this deep, deep foundation is on solid rock. And so the end result is that nothing will shift or destroy or shake this house because it was well built. The contrast is for the person that does not listen and put into practice. There are again three also, three things that Jesus wants to emphasize about this person. This person is without foundation. 
And because of the lack of foundation, there is an immediate collapse. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed. He's focusing on the suddenness, the immediacy, the quick destruction. And the destruction was also complete. Right? The word here called complete is the word mega. Okay? It's like, if you don't want to put my words into practice, you're without foundation, it will collapse very suddenly, and there's mega destruction. So in conclusion, as we listen to this last parable, it applies to us just as much as for the original hearer, isn't it? We come to church, we go to Bible study, we come and we hear, but do we put these things into practice? Do we put the words of Jesus into practice? Do we have radical poverty? Do we, do we weep and mourn for our sin? Will we have radical loyalty to Jesus even when people hate and reject us? Will we have radical love to those who oppose us? And will we have radical mercy to those who are sinners around us? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for these marvelous and powerful words of Jesus. Indeed, it's a really great reminder to us uh, that all these things are so important because it teaches us a certainty that we are disciples of Jesus, that we are part of your family, that we will have eternity in heaven. Uh, truly help us to see, dear Father, that our perspective is not of this world, but of the future. Uh, it is of the super fantastic forever party. Uh, dear Father, we pray for each and every one of us here that we will take the words of Jesus seriously, that we will be like the house built on rock that uh, has dug deep, strong foundations rather than the one that will collapse suddenly and completely. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.